0: Hi, this is D.D. Pfeiffer, and you're listening to Then Is Now Podcast.
1: Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good. <laughs> It's scary.
2: Warning!
3: Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Welcome to Thirteen Days of Hallowtober. <laughs> you are in a room filled with your friends. But they're all dead. Suddenly, one by one, they begin to move. To live again. What the hell are they? Zom. How can we stop? Here, take this. Zom. They are decaying. They are missing from their grave. Shut up! Zombie. It's shocking. That's why no one under 17 will be admitted. Save me.
3: Hello and welcome to this special episode of Then Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor. John Grace from the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast returns. He previously joined us on the Kung Fu Zombie episode, as well as joining Patsy and I on our other show, The East Meets the West. Welcome back, John.
0: Hey, glad to be here.
3: Awesome, awesome. I have to thank you. We had a scheduling snafu here, and I called you at the 11th hour to pinch hit on this episode, so I truly appreciate you jumping in to save the day.
0: Sure, no problem. always enthused to talk about Italian, really bad Italian cinema, (laughs) or Euro-tri-cinema.
3: Awesome, awesome, so am I. So we are in the penultimate episode of our yearly event called 13 Days of Hallowtober. This year we've been discussing modern zombie films, that is, zombie movies that came after or were inspired by George Romero's 1968 horror film Night of the Living Dead. His movie inspired a couple generations of filmmakers, and while his quote-unquote rules for zombies have changed from time to time, the spirit of his films continues on. And nothing is more closer to his films than the one we're going to talk about today, Well, we'll see about that. While it's dubious in its claims of being a sequel to Dawn of the Dead, it nonetheless is a fun, scary, and gory romp in the world of the zombie apocalypse. I'm talking, of course, about Lucio Fulci's 1979 flick, Zombie, a.k.a. Zombie 2, a.k.a. Zombie Flesh Eaters. And I could go on and on, but I won't. So sit back and get ready for a fun discussion. Class is in session.
2: Anyone on board? Yes, yeah,
1: it looks abandoned. Is there something big? That's just what we'd like to know. One more step and I'm gonna blast you. Now freeze where you are!
2: Yes, it's my father's boat.
1: How long since you last spoke to him? Well, we have to go to mato
0: We're trying to locate Anne's father. She hasn't heard from him for some time.
3: That's not a cool place to hit. The natives claim it's cursed. They so avoid it like the plague.
1: I'm going to tell everyone that you're the one who's crazy. The demented, cruel, evil cat. What exactly did my father die of,
2: Dr. Minnow? The boat's crew. What happened to them? What's this about the dead coming back to life again and having to be killed a second time?
1: These islands, fantastic legends, voodooism, zombies. Been I mean, rife right for centuries.
3: Voodoo's just superstitious, horse.
1: Now, whatever it is, it makes the dead stand up and walk. I've seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> Said, when the earth spit out the dead, they will come back to suck the blood from the living. I'm so scared. We're not going to make it off this island. Ah! 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 coming back to life they're everywhere dead stand up and walk
3: an abandoned boat drifts into New York Harbor and is boarded by two harbor patrolmen a zombie kills one of the patrolmen but is shot by the man's partner and falls overboard the dead patrolman's body is taken to the morgue Ann Bowles is questioned by police as the boat belonged to her father she claims he's conducting research on Tool, I mean, Matul, a Caribbean island. British journalist Peter West is investigating the story. He and Bowles learn that Bowles' father is suffering from a strange illness on the island. They hire a boat and two guides, Brian Howell and his wife Susan Barrett, to reach Matul. Meanwhile on Matul, British doctor David Menard and his wife Paola have been researching the phenomenon of zombie reanimation. Paola wishes to flee the island, but Menard insists on staying. That night, Paola is alone in the house when a zombie tries to enter. She pushes the door shut, but it breaks through with one arm. Paola is pulled toward the door and killed as her eye is gouged out by splintered wood. Approaching Matul, Barrett dives into the ocean around the boat. She encounters a shark and flees behind a reef, only to be accosted by a submerged zombie. Surfacing, she reaches the boat while the shark and zombie attack each other. Well, that's debatable, also, but okay. Eventually, the boat docks at Matul. Yep. <laughs> Maynard is alarmed to find that one of his colleagues has died of the zombie infection. He waits for the body to reanimate before shooting it in the head. While digging a grave for the body, he hears gunfire and follows it to discover the boat group. Maynard sends them back to his mansion in order to fetch his wife, where they discover Paola's corpse being eaten by zombies. The group fends off an attack and escapes in a jeep, with Wes suffering an ankle injury when the vehicle veers off-road. Resting in a jungle clearing, the group realize they've encountered a Conquistador-era graveyard, Barrett is killed when one of the corpses rises from the earth and bites out her throat. As more corpses reanimate, the group flees to the local hospital, where Maynard explains that his dead are rising as a result of a voodoo curse, which he has been trying to stop. The hospital is besieged by zombies, and Maynard is killed by one of his former staff. As the zombies attempt to enter, those being treated for infection inside the hospital also reanimate, killing several hospital staff who have stayed behind. As the dead outside breach the door, Bull sets the building on fire. The undead Barrett bites Hull but is shot in the head by West. Bowles, West, and Hull escape to the boat and leave the island. At sea, Hull dies of his infection, and his body is locked in the cabin to be used as evidence of what has happened. However, as the boat approaches New York again, a radio broadcast reports that the city is under attack from zombies, the result of the initial attack in the harbor. So, John, when was the first time you saw this, and what was your first impression?
0: I would say... I knew about it because I bought a issue of Fangoria when I was, I think I was eight years old, um, with the uh, really gruesome worm encrusted zombie on the cover. It was like Fangoria number three, so yeah. it would have been nineteen eighty. Because uh, yeah, we bought it. Mama bought it for me at the Piggly Wiggly, and uh, I think I read that thing to, to the pieces. And uh, but I didn't see the film until about nineteen eighty six. When I could rent video, you could rent, even if they were horror films, and uh, specifically said no one under 17 should watch this movie, uh, you could rent <laughs> it anyway. They didn't care. Yeah, they just wanted their rental money. And I watched the Wizard video with the big giant box that you would see in video stores back in the day. And uh, that was the first time I saw it. And I've probably revisited that film and uh, all formats since, which would be Laserdisc. And then I think I owned a DVD. Uh, I had a VHS that anchor Bay put out that was letterbox which was unique at the time it was right before the death of VHS that was a nice. it was nice to see it in widescreen finally because uh, the old wizard uh, pan and scan is really you know you just I don't know how the hell we ever sat through movies that way I know <laughs> um, and then it uh, just recent- recently just saw a blu-ray version so I, it's a movie I've gone back to several times even though it's not a favorite but do find myself able to watch it. Oh, and I saw it on the big screen. Me and my wife went to see it at a revival screening at the Starz Film Center when that existed in Denver. And right. uh, there was it was said to be like a negative print or something, and it was scratched to hell and <laughs> <laughs> hell. I was just like, Whoa, if this is the negative, we're in trouble. Oh jeez. <laughs> but it was great. It's a terrific film to see in a theater. It's quite a trip.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. I rented this back, I guess, when it came out in eighty one. So I was eleven. And uh, I just remember it being so scary that I didn't want to go back to it. I, I think I even found it scarier than Dawn of the Dead. Um,
0: I could see that. The yeah. music would definitely help. The music is one of the best score, probably the best zombie film score. And I would hold Dawn of the Dead really high up there for great soundtrack scores for a zombie film.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't recall if I, if I knew the connection... Between this and Dawn of the Dead at the time, although I was also reading Fangoria, so I was plugged into all that information. I just don't recall when I right. f- first made that connection, but I did revisit it again in my twenties, and I have to say, I actually haven't seen it since then. Kind of fell off my radar, and um, really, so, yeah. So watching it again this time, I was glad. I, I really loved it. I loved, you know, I felt like it was really well shot, and I just enjoyed the heck out of this movie. I'm surprised I hadn't revisited. I think it was because I was so scared as a kid.
0: <laughs> so you weren't, like, in high school wearing Fulci Lives t-shirts or anything, right? right?
3: yeah. I was just still kind of finding my way around there. I had this book I used to take into high school with me called Splatter Movies, and um, the, the other kids were all like, oh, can I look right. at that, can I look at that? Oh, you know? John McCarty, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I still have that book. So let's get into the cast and crew here. Uh, it was, course, It was, of course, directed by Lucio Fulci, who's famous for Don't Torture a Duckling, City of the Living Dead, also known as the Gates of Hell. Uh, House by the Cemetery, The Beyond, and so many good ones. John, do you want to talk about how this film was supposedly a sequel to Dawn of the Dead and what went on there, and maybe even we can touch on his relationship with Dario Argento?
0: Oh, sure. Well, uh, supposedly Dawn of the Dead was this huge hit in Italy. Uh, Falci and the backers of this film claim that the script was written before Dawn of the Dead, and it was supposedly more of an uh, action-adventure film script which i could see i mean it's possible yeah but i don't believe anything italian filmmakers ever say anyway they're <laughs> no liars and they'll make up anything to make it convenient for their you know their revisionist history right so what they did was they released a zombie 2 in italy because they don't have any copyright law against that you know there's just no there's very rarely any action and for all i know they might have had the same distributor and the distributor can do whatever the hell he wants with any movie. Well, and it uh, wasn't Dawn
3: they, of the Dead called a zombie over there. And I think
0: it was called Zombie. Uh, Argento did a very different cut where he cut it down to about 90 minutes. Yeah. I actually think it's the preferred version of the film. Huh. Uh, even though I like the long version, that's what I saw. But I do think the zombie version is uh, very, very watchable. It's really good. And in some ways, I prefer it because it gets a lot of the dull stuff out of the way, you know, if you have a short attention span. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I think it's a little gorier. I, I mean, I'm sure it could be corrected on that. But I think that's the more effective version of the film to watch, and uh, and the zombie also the goblin music that comprises the soundtrack is much louder in the Argento version, um, which I like. And uh, and I, I need to watch that. I haven't watched it in years, but I remember when I got on video, I was you know really really impressed by it. And um, so they put it out as Zombie Two, and I guess it was a huge, I guess it was a huge hit in Italy. I know it was a big hit. In the U.S., because uh, what's his name was it Jerry Warren who got the rights to it? And um, I think so. No, yeah. no, it's um, it's one it's one of those uh, distributors who was known for out of New York, who was like a, you know, kind of a crazy oh distributor. Like
3: hemisphere or something.
0: Uh, no, I'll pull it up on uh, IMDb because I know because it's a it's the same guy who released the Boogeyman, I think. Oh, okay. um, uh, because they gave it a really really effective um let's see here Get the produ- uh, release production company u.s uh what's it say jerry gross organization that's it jerry oh gross. Jerry yeah. Gross. yeah yeah he was great at releasing stuff at drive-ins and flea pits and um <laughs> flea pits are what you now politically correct call grindhouses but they were actually called flea pits by theater owners right um <laughs> because they were lower quality theaters but um I remember an ad in my local newspaper back when newspapers had those great uh even your small town newspaper had big ads for the movies playing yeah with the artwork and yeah. everything and the drive-in had zombie playing and it had this image of the zombies standing in front of the brooklyn bridge and it was like we're going to eat you or something like that yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, <laughs> and it's a second feature co-feature dawn of the dead i'm like wow that's going to be an amazing night at the drive-in you know <laughs> to an 8 year old Oh yeah, um, uh, yeah, it's it's stunning. And um, but I know over here it was a, a pretty big hit in theaters, and it had to be because um, other distributors would release Falchi's movies. Like uh, Gates of Hell got a big release in this country. Yeah, it, so big it was. Re- it was reviewed in People Magazine. <laughs> so oh wow! It's just like yeah, people don't realize they they act like this is all cult or rarely seen or only released at Forty Second Street. No, this stuff played everywhere. Oh, what yeah. they do is they they kind of four it or regionally roll it out throughout the country over a span of a few months. And, you know, they would cover the territory getting it at all the flea pits. But uh, I remember gates of hell playing locally at um, the beyond might have under what was it, seven doors seven of death. Doors of death it's... Yeah. 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 The, all those things played. And the funny thing was horror fans didn't seem to like them at the time or the horror, I guess you'd call them horror film critics didn't really dig them. And I've, I've seen the reputation of Zombie and other films kind of grow over the years.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's like funny. there's this respect, you know. You could watch it now in widescreen and you can appreciate how Fulci uses scope. He's great at that. He's actually better than Romero and and in some ways better than Argento when it comes to a long drawn-out suspense scene in one take. And like, I noticed that in Zombie. Like, watching it this time, I really appreciated it because I look for that stuff a little more. Yeah. And there's some great scenes where a character's just looking around and then suddenly there's a, <laughs> you know, some, the hand coming up or a skull coming out of the ground or whatever. And then it, the camera rolls, back, pads back to them, you know. Right. And it's And just kind of <laughs> creates it. The, the scenes with Olga Carlatos, who later played Prince's mom in Purple Rain. Right. She's in her she's in her bungalow and she's notices somebody might be outside and there's this long drawn out seat. It's actually really well done. It's something that people kind of were writing off full back in the day, even though, I mean, if Hitchcock had done it, people would say hey, it's one of Hitchcock's greatest moments because it's this Italian guy who used to make uh, comedies and westerns of uh, right and looks like he's just cashing in on Romero it just they don't appreciate it
3: and he I hear I read that his career was kind of faltering at this point but because this movie was so successful um, yeah. that it really kind of amped up his career and sort of jump started it but my understanding was that and correct me if i'm wrong was that he kind of walked into his like he was first of all he was the third pick as the director of this and he right. walked into it thinking it was just going to be a horror movie, a zombie movie, whatever. But then because Don had succeeded so well, it became a cash grab in Italy. And the producers changed a lot of stuff and turned it into Zombie 2. And he really wasn't a part of that decision-making process. Is this true?
0: Uh, this I do not know. Uh, it's not covered in the documentary. The right. one, uh, the Fulci for Fake, is the documentary I watched. to kind of refresh my brain on uh, my Fulci Knowledge because I'm not like a hardcore fan right. or anything. Um, and I kind of had to freshen up on it. But um the interesting thing the documentary mentioned, and it was, I can't remember if it was his producer or the composer, Fabio Frizzi, who said it. They said, but the movie is actually a Western or it's structured like a Western. And Falci had come off of doing Silver Saddle and Four of the Apocalypse in that decade. I think he had made The Psychic before he made Zombie. So he was already working the thriller thing. Right. But uh even the documentary mentions that you cannot believe everything he says about his career or his <laughs> movies because he would fudge the facts. Like he claimed, Oh, Steven Spielberg told me that Poltergeist was inspired by um I think the Beyond or you know, or House by the <laughs> Cemetery. I was like, What? It's just like um but um I noticed that the movie is structured like a Western, the uh, Tisa Farrow and Ian McCulloch and Al Cliver come in and they're almost like the cavalry. And it's almost like Richard Johnson is like the general in a fort besieged by Apaches or something, you know, like you've seen those Westerns, (laughs) you know, you have seen those Westerns where they're going to find the father, you know, it's almost like a reverse of the searchers or something. And, uh, and it's the, the, the hospital or whatever, the clinic is basically besieged by zombies surrounding the thing and you know, they they get in and and there's a scene where they're surrounded by zombies and they're shooting these rifles and throwing these flaming Molotov cocktails. And I'm like, wow, this is like <laughs> assault on precinct 13. Right. Or right. Various Westerns I've seen where they're holed up and fi- fending off Indians. And um, it's, I was like, okay, I can see it now. I could totally see how this might've been an action script or Fulci brought his approach to Westerns to this. Right. Um. Al- although to me, he only made one really good western, which was uh, "Massacre Time," which we reviewed on on my podcast a few years back. Oh, nice. And that's a very innovative, I think, uh, very trend setting and uh, ahead of its time western with Franco Nero. And I think uh, Fauci did see it as a western when he wasn't doing these, you know, these incredible suspense scenes of stalking Olga Carlados or. Um, Captain Haggerty as the zombie on the boat when it said the harbor of New York. And, I mean, which is all, those are all really well edited, well shot and staged scenes. And I think people don't, don't give him the credit for that. Cause, you know, even in the 80s, your Chaz Ballon types were always talking, ooh, the gore, the chunk blower, the right, right. splatter. And it's like, you know, that's not even the most interesting stuff to me now, what, you know, watching it as an adult. So, um, yeah. you know, I think it just, depends on what you want out of a movie I, I guess
3: yeah and it's funny because my understanding too is that all the the filming in new york was guerrilla filmmaking they had no permits oh, yeah. they he, he hired a guy i'm sorry yeah he he told the basically the the director of photography go here's some money go and rent a helicopter and go fly <laughs> around and get some shots <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the way they did it um it's funny because i i really admire new york ripper Which is one film that a lot of his fans don't like. And um, it's uh, yet, it it seemed like his most personal film. And the documentary kind of proved that it actually was. But I remember admiring the way he depicted New York, like it would have been 1982, I think, or when he was filming it. And it really, you really feel the scuzziness of New York of that era. And I remember I was talking to Vincent Gallo about lucio Fulci, and i had just seen new york ripper and i said i was amazed by the scenes of new york he got and he probably didn't have permits and uh gallo told me they had these 35 millimeter cameras that they could they could almost be handheld and they could carry them around and get those type of shots but he was he was explaining to me how he did it wow and yeah and i was like whoa i was like huh very interesting because gallo had worked in italy and i think he, kno- he knew some of these guys or he knows some of them yeah and uh he told me he spoke some italian so he you know, I think he conversed with a lot of these guys, but uh, but yeah, I was like, whoa. So it's funny because while I think this is around the time that started the trend of Hollywood making New York films in Toronto, which was a right. real pro- problem at the time, and and so the New York set films didn't have much authenticity. But then Italy was making all these films in New York, which right. have a better. Vibe of the era than anything Hollywood was making at the time, save for *Night of the Juggler* and maybe a few other exceptions.
3: You oh know, yeah, you would think
0: after *Saturday Night Fever*, they just they would New York wouldn't let these guys not make a movie in New York, but no, they all went to Toronto for tax breaks.
3: Like and *Rumble in the so Bronx*, paying, Yeah, they don't want to pay
0: unions. You know, well, *Rumble in the Bronx* was uh, that was never intended to be seen in America. Oh really? Like Stanley Stanley Tong told a friend of mine who was a distributor who was interviewing him. He said. Had we known you guys were going to buy that one, we would have never shown the mountains in Vancouver. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> there's no way I would have shown, but I didn't think you guys cared anymore. So we just, we made it for Asia. And, hey, here's the Vancouver mountains. We didn't know. That's it's like, hilarious. you're going to, of all the ones we <laughs> made, you're going to buy that one. <laughs> just, which oh, I was man. saying the same thing. Cause I had seen Rumble in the Bronx, the Hong Kong version I was baffled when New Line Cinema purchased it. I said, "Boy, they must I guess they're going to edit the hell out of that." Nope, they actually didn't. Yeah, they, <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know, they they chopped some stuff for pacing and it's actually better paced than the Hong Kong version, but it's still a pretty dumb movie. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I was yeah. like in a pale shadow of Jackie's 80s stuff where he was at his peak. And uh but yeah, I was I was baffled by that. But uh, like a lot of uh, TV shows were always filmed in Vancouver or Toronto claiming it was New York. That just became a thing. And really it was just Hollywood wanted to avoid paying the unions.
3: That's all it was. And the thing is, movies like this one, like Zombie 2, even though the whole movie doesn't take place in New York, it's just sort of the opening and closing sequences, um, uh, movies that are actually shot in the city, whether it's New York or L.A. or Chicago, whatever, back from like the 70s and early 80s, to me, they're like time capsules. I love those. I love the feel, how they look. I love, you know, like you said, the way you described how the city was, you know, and it, it just you I, it, really something to that that we just don't have today, you know?
0: right right and i've been in uh new york city in the summertime and i would say that uh that the the wraparound <laughs> scenes of zombie really do capture the feeling of being in that city
2: yes yeah. uh, so <laughs>
0: it's just it's just i don't know you can just feel it you know like i got that that feel because back when i was there the uh twin towers were still up it was in the 90s right so, uh, yeah and and there's shots of them in this movie of the the uh world trade center and it's just like, it does give you that feeling and that vibe, and it, it's like that's New York, and, and Fulci's widescreen and his scope, and it's like, it doesn't, because Martin Scorsese doesn't film in widescreen, or rarely does, and he never filmed his gangster movies in widescreen, so, so this is your chance to see the city of that era in scope, and it's uh, definitely got that feeling, gives you that vibe.
3: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I guess with um, Captain Haggerty, he was the he was the zombie on the boat at the beginning, right? Right. Yeah. He, I guess, went to a bar in New York. It apparently, it was one of the worst, seediest bars. I, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. It was
0: CBGB's where the yes. Ramones and blondie yep. and Dead Boys got their start. And hey. uh, supposedly, he walked in and nobody paid any mind to him because punk rock was in full swing.
3: <laughs> and he had, his, he had his zombie makeup on.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was probably in there with the Misfits and Jerry Only and Glenn Danzig. And everybody just thought, oh, he's just a fan.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. And Fulci
0: wasn't a worship thing in the seventies, so he couldn't walk in. It's like, hey, I'm doing the new Fulci movie, you know?
3: Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, nobody
0: cared. Oh, the cheap Italian stuff.
3: So well, one thing I thought I thought Fulci wrote this film, but it, according to IMDb, anyways, it's um, Elisa Brigantiv and Dardano Sacchetti wrote it. Right, um, which they both collaborated on. Nineteen ninety, The Bronx Warriors, uh, Exterminators of the Year three thousand. You know, they they worked with Fulci quite a bit. Um,
0: Yeah, but notice they specialize in action scripts, Yes, you know, action sci-fi, and so I do believe the stories that the original uh, script for Zombie, maybe predating Dawn of the Dead, was probably more of an action script, and you'll also notice, like, the zombies in this are voodoo-oriented, they're not caused by a meteorite landing, or like Romero's films, or... You know, whatever phenomena like it's he, it's almost like he's bringing back the zombies of the nineteen forties, like um, and those those kind of dull films like the zombies of Tau or whatever. Or yeah, I watched the Hammer the film, zombie. Plague of the Zombies. Yeah, you're getting the voodoo, um, the voodoo spark zombies, but, which is a little more interesting. And he's got those, uh, you know, Fabio Frizzi has kind of the the bongo drums playing throughout the <laughs> tropical island scenes, and you, you get a great voodoo vibe, and it's um. But yet, it's paced almost like a like an action western or something. Like right. It's just constant. It, it doesn't give you a lot of time to breathe, except during the long takes <laughs> when they're looking to see if a zombie's lurking around. But I really, really got into the vibe and I, I appreciated the vibe and pacing of the uh, the island scenes this time, which were filmed in Santa Domingo, I believe.
3: Yes. Yeah. And the the jungle drums in the background just reminded me of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, as I was thinking about this movie, and I watched it uh, the other day and I watched it today, and I feel like there's a strong case that could be made for for arguing that this movie sort of takes place concurrently with the opening of Dawn of the Dead, especially with that ending. But, you know, Night of the Living Dead, he was vague about it. He said, you know, there's one scene where there's a news report of a space capsule that came back from Venus and it it was radioactive or something, but they never clearly defined what caused the zombies. And in this, it's not 100% clear that it's voodoo-related. Like, the natives call it voodoo because they do have that method, like in Serpent and the Rainbow, that Wade, uh, what's his name, Wade Davis discovered that the puffer fish and if you eat it, it makes your heart rate slow down they think you're dead and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. So I think the argument could be made that whatever's causing it is neither voodoo nor a space probe from from venus but it is something completely different because we don't see any voodoo rituals i was telling you off mike we i was watching a movie called voodoo black uh, exorcist and in right. that you see them doing voodoo rituals to either do something bad or, or counteract something bad you know but in this they kind of talk about it but it's never really conclusively shown to us as the audience.
0: Yeah. It's not clear. And I think the New York stuff was added after Dawn of the dead, to give it that Romero vibe. Probably. So you could say it was set in the same world world or universe and the zombies only die when you shoot them in the head. Right. So, and, and obviously being bitten by a zombie is an infection. So you could see where those script changes were. If it was indeed rewritten hastily after Dawn of the dead to make it more in that universe. So, you could definitely buy into that. And you could say it's set in Romero's world. I think that's such a loose thing now because The Walking Dead became this huge phenomena that is has certainly easily outpaced and um, grown in popularity over Romero's trilogy where you could no longer... Nobody's going to say Night of the Living Dead anymore. They're going to say, oh, it's like The Walking Dead.
3: You know? Right, right, yeah.
0: And Romero himself even admitted he was just stealing from uh, Matheson's I Am Legend story and you can see some sh- some of the shots are swiped from um the last man on earth for time yeah. living dead and um it, it's just kind of it's like okay one theft of a matheson story kind of becomes its own thing and then a theft of <laughs> the theft of i am legend <laughs> has sort of grown into its own thing where it's bigger than all everything um, you know what's more popular than The Walking Dead? It's hard to find, you know, Game of Thrones maybe, or it's yeah. probably boosted up horror movie conventions, you know, tenfold. It's too bad, Fulci didn't live long enough to take advantage of this whole zombie zeitgeist oh, in uh, the film industry. Man, he would have really cashed out. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, you could you could argue or or make the case. that eh, it's set in the Romero universe. You'd be safe with that. Just like uh it's a film uh, that was made in Africa, The Dead. Is that what I'm thinking of? Uh I don't what year? It was it was fairly recent, just like five or six years ago.
3: Oh, I don't know. I don't recall.
0: It was like the dead or I think it was just called The Dead or The Undead. It was but it was actually filmed in Africa. Huh. And and it was and the it was like these two guys uh directed it and they were they were uh saying, Oh yeah, this is like our sequel to Dawn of the Dead, you know, set in Romero's universe. And it was pretty much the same thing. And, and you could easily do that too. And you don't even have to pay heat the copyright right? and pay large. <laughs> you don't have to pay Richard Rubenstein to do a zombie film where they have to be shot in the head and, yeah? Know, because <laughs> of the living dead. Hey, they forgot to stick a copyright on it. So public domain, <laughs> the minute it comes out. Right. So you've kind of got this free floating universe. You can set all, all of these things could be set in that universe. Except for the new ones with the running zombies and Twenty Eight Days Later and all that.
3: Yeah, yeah, you know. And it's funny too with with um, the two cops at the beginning. I guess one of them was an Italian actor, and one of right. them was a real policeman that was like off duty, and they paid him to be in that. Um, right. But the one that has the gore has, gets his throat ripped out is the Italian actor because they they couldn't very they were guerrilla filmmaking as it was they couldn't very well ask the cop to also undergo right. makeup, you know.
0: <laughs> right, right. And they could also, you know, they could film it back at Rome if they needed to.
3: I think that's where they did film it actually, my understanding. Yeah,
0: yeah, they do. Most of the inserts or the indoor interior stuff is all shot in Rome and then all yeah. the stuff done outside of course is in Santa Domingo in New York.
3: Right. So now, Tisa Faro plays Ann Bowles. Um she's the sister of Mia Faro, which I did not know even though I I wondered that when I sat down to watch it this time. Mm-hmm. Um she wasn't in a lot of films. She was in uh Anthrop- anthropophagus anthropophagus how do you pronounce that
0: the, i always called it the grim reaper just to okay. so nobody would correct my latin so
3: anthropophagus i forget it it's the grim yeah, reaper and I, i'm not gonna
0: i'm not gonna waste my time trying to pronounce some <laughs> word i'll never use in any other scenario if it's called the grim reaper in america that's fine I've right never called zombie zombie two or zombie flesh eaters the zombie it is the zombie you know? right um yeah i've never i've never seen that one actually a lot of people would talk about it but at the time, I was overdosing on the horror scenes and the horror magazines, and they'd always be like, "This version of the Grim Reaper on uh, Wizard Video is missing a crucial 20 seconds of throat ripping." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Avoid it. Buy a bootleg from Chaz Valor. <laughs> right. So I was like, you know, so I was like, well, I guess I wouldn't waste my time watching it, you know. So <laughs> it's just, and I'd, I'd been burned enough renting Jeff Franco movies under the recommendation of zine writers and. The wizard video versions of those were always just like, like, what on earth are they seeing in these things, and how did they sucker <laughs> a video store owner into carrying this piece of junk? Other than the box art is fantastic, you know.
3: Oh my god, I've been looking lately. I I, lo- I just love batshit. Ever since I saw *Malignant*, I'm like, I got to see more batshit crazy movies because I w- remembered that I liked them. Like um, uh, *Nightmare City*, I fucking love right. that movie because it's batshit Berto crazy. Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: that actually got a big release in New Orleans when I was a little kid. Oh really? 83 I believe it played local theaters in new and the back then when they had these great radio ads. Oh yeah, know, when the new horror film was in you had to get the you had to get the the music fans in, so that your rock stations and your soul music stations would play these terrific radio ads promoting the latest uh, zombie horror films from Italy. And boy, the local newspaper critics would review everything, and they'd hate on this. You could tell they didn't yeah. even watch it.
3: <laughs> I did find some newspaper ads for this movie, which I'll post on the show notes, and I'll look and see if I can find any radio spots for this one as well.
0: There are some. I've heard them. They're they're pretty good.
1: Oh, good, good. It is midnight on a tropical island. A beautiful young girl's long hair streams against the coral reef. Her beautiful body is caressed by the tide. Suddenly, a decayed hand rises up, and blood-drenched jaws move to bite her. The living dead walk again. some they are decayed. They are missing from their graves. Hey. They live and hunger for your flesh. No. There is no place you can hide. Zombie, you are what they eat. No one under 17 will be admitted. Zombie.
3: Uh, speaking of uh, Umberto Lindsay's Nightmare City, I just realized Stefania DiMario, De- De who played the nurse, Minard's assistant Clara, uh, she was in Nightmare City also, but my point about bringing that up was, I just watched recently, um, there's a movie called House from 1974, a Japanese film, or, or It's known <coughs> over there as Hasu, because right. I lo- I just kind of, as a lark, I googled, you know, batshit crazy movies, and that came up, and I had seen that come up a couple times in my recent searches, so I'm like, alright, I'll give it a try, and that was one of those movies, I couldn't tell you what the fuck it was about, and I, I literally, I-, I at the end of the movie, I just said out loud to nobody in the room, I just said... What the hell did I just see? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a real cult favorite, I guess because criterion has uh really has released several editions of it, and people will have that assumption anything without like Criterion is automatically great. right. and um, I've watched it twice and never cared much for it, and it's probably because I've watched so much Japanese television and Japanese movies, I take that all for granted, what yeah. people are often blown away by. And right. to me, it's like, oh, you know, there's episodes of *Common Writer V3 that are better edited than this or something. You know, it's got goofy <laughs> stuff in it. So I don't even think twice about it. And uh, it's one of those films, like, people uh, never quite uh, over here don't often understand that this stuff is... Japanese movies often have specific markets, like *House hausu, as they might call it, is uh, really made for Japanese schoolgirls. Right. For, like, high school girls. Like, that's what it's aimed at. Uh, the ring is aimed at at women. It's yeah. like women are going to find the ring frightening. Men will look, oh, a dead wet girl is crawling out of my TV, and I <laughs> kick her in the face. <laughs> right. You know, men aren't scared of these things, but women are. Women are scared of such images, and but their horror films are specifically marketed to different audiences. You know, Godzilla movies are really over here. It's funny, like I'm, and I'm guilty of this too. Is you know. Grown men will buy these Godzilla collector toys and stuff. But if you go over there and <laughs> tell too. them you're a grown man into Godzilla movies, they're just going to laugh at you. Right? Like, oh, those are for kids. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with you?
3: <laughs> oh, man. And,
0: you, you but, but, yeah, it, they're very specific with their audiences. You know, they they aim things at different crowds, and they're okay with that. And But over here, we act like, okay, this Marvel movie is for everybody. And it's like, well, that's why it's boring. You know, anything made to appeal to everybody is not going to be any good. It's going to have a lot of flaws.
3: Well, you know, what, you just reminded me, uh, speaking of, you know, targeted movies, we, one of the films we should have covered on this series this year was uh, the Japanese zombie-ass Toilet of the Dead.
0: Oh, I'll never see it. <laughs> I, I, am not a, I am not a fan of anything <laughs> Japanese horror made after, like, 1975 or so. I just don't. To me, that's when they just forgot how to make movies because the energy crisis hit them, and they got really into anime, like, yeah. and their movies. Their movies became cheaper and less imaginative, and um, they really were into putting out the anime because it was cheaper to make than live action. And um, I think, like in the fifties and the sixties, you, I'll watch any Japanese movie from that era mm. of almost any genre, and um, except romance, I don't think I'd sit through that. But um, <laughs> But yeah, it's like, but all the stuff they've come out with in recent years that everybody's nuts about, Tetsuo the Iron Man, I'll watch them, just like, ah, please. You know, it's yeah. just like, it's, it's a lot of things I like, do, because they're so inspired by American stuff now, instead of their own legends and their own films right. or well, their like own literature. Well,
3: that's is so effective, even though the movie's like, what, four hours long?
0: <laughs> oh, it's killer. I mean, yeah. I could sit there and just watch the whole thing, and it's great. It's beautiful. It's yeah. like a work of art. It's a moving painting. And you can see how it... Filmmakers over here have ripped it off all the time. Like even in Conan the Barbarian, the John Milius movie, he steals Qui Dan because there's this midsection of Conan that I find so boring, and I didn't realize at the time he was stealing from Qui Dan, but he didn't have the skills to pull it off. You know? <laughs> I
3: didn't know that. Because but- Qui
0: Dan's a work of art. Conan the Barbarian is just like John Millius making a Genghis Khan movie using the Conan character. So right. it's like, yeah, it's like, but yeah, Quiet Anne is amazing. And there's other ghost movies they made and supernatural uh, films. Uh, Onababa is amazing. Uh, jagoku is incredible. And they were using gore and uh, female nudity and all these things that, We thought were so shocking when we used them in the late 60s and 70s. They were doing that stuff in the early 60s. Right. You know, (laughs) even the Soviet Union was doing that stuff in the early 60s. It's just kind of like we're so myopic when it comes like like, oh, Hollywood did it first. No, it's like, no, Japan, Italy, even the Soviet Union were doing these things that we considered so innovative.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, getting back to the cast here, Ian McCulloch. Who played Peter West. Um he was in a few Doctor Who episodes. I think it was Third Doctor ones. Um he was in iMonster. What?
0: He's in some Pertwee, uh, yes. uh
3: was it War- That's no. my favorite era. I
0: gotta go I gotta go back and uh, look him up on Britbox and watch. Yeah.
3: It. It's uh Warriors of the Deep, I think. It was the one with the Silurians.
0: Okay. Oh wow, yeah. God saw that years ago. I need to watch that again. Yeah. I didn't even realize Ian McCulloch was in it. So whoa. Mm-hmm. I- all right. Hey, that's something that I can put on the watch list. There you
3: go. That's awesome. I love those. Those third and fourth, Do- especially the fourth Doctor ones are really scary, or some yeah. of them. And um, one of the sh- first two we- seasons. Yes. One of the first movies, I'm sorry, one of the movies we covered in this session was um, in this series, I should say, was The Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. And that had such the vibe of a scary Doctor Who, you know, amped up to yeah. R-rated.
0: <laughs> right, right, like a like a Dennis Wheatley novel or something. Yes, kind of, yes. kind of brought to life. Got that real weird, swinging London meets the supernatural type right. of vibe. <laughs> they, they, I, I love the movies from that era, and I think what I like about the third and early fourth Doctor series. I think by third season, Doctor Who became pretty hard to watch um, because they had to respond to the Mary Whitehouse accusations, and the BBC being so brave, totally gave in to her this old lady claiming doctor who was too terrifying for little babies or something right. and so yeah, the bbc the big brave bbc just totally gave in and made doctor who into a Whoosh show right but um but yeah the the pertwee third doctor the early baker have that incredible early 70s sci-fi planet of the apes and yes. you know uh robert block amicus film type stuff and yes. The, the hammer film vibe it's all there yeah. you know it's the did it like uh my favorite doctor who story of all time well i'm really geeking out at doctor who tonight
2: <laughs> uh
0: it's the pertwee uh story the de- the demons or the demons or yes. how it's spelled yeah and that's like a dennis wheatley novel brought to life it's incredible
3: it's oh okay just, yeah
0: it's it, it's just great stuff i mean it's beautiful and uh i watch it anytime you know pertwee is just the you know that's the doctor to me like these 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 uh, 21st century Doctor Who shows uh, just do nothing for me. It's like, um, I don't know, it's like going to Sears Roebuck or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny.
3: Um, Inferno was one of my favorite Pertwee ones. Yeah. I love that yeah. one.
0: Oh yeah, the alternate world Brigadier yes. with the eye patch. So with the, the
3: brigade leader instead of the brigade. Yeah, yeah,
0: brigade leader. <laughs> 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 that's great. And the even kind of slightly evil Liz. Yeah, yes. that's, a, that's a terrific story. Yeah, one of the uh, planned shows I've been wanting to do on the uh, the MMC is uh, something about the Pertwee Third Doctor. You know, one of those stories. But I got to oh, wait for awesome. uh, my co. One of my co-hosts, uh, Hunter, has purchased some Pertwee Doctor Who's and. Yeah, you know, hopefully we'll watch it and have a discussion on it.
3: Nice, nice. That's awesome. Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then is Now podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You could find our links to our Patreon page as well as our T public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television, and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You can find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores slash havenpodcasts and patreon.com slash thenisnowpodcast. Enjoy! Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast.
2: Prepare for a spying, tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Radio. Here, your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of... Monster, monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio! Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster, Monster Kid Radio! Kid Radio.
1: shadows move the wind howls you run in terror and hide bloody hand rises to grab you. and with an axe you split apart what was once human of number 17 will be admitted
3: uh ian mcculloch was also in uh eye monster he was in The Ghoul with Peter Cushing from 75. Yes. Uh, I think he was on an episode of Hammer House of Horror. And he played a German officer in Where Eagles Dare, um, among other films. Then Richard Johnson, who played Dr. Maynard, uh, He was in The Haunting, which I didn't realize that.
0: And, yeah, terrific uh, veteran actor. Yeah. He was in The Rat Pack. He was part of Sinatra's crew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, married Kim Novak That's uh, right for a year.
3: Kim For a year, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah which has has me thinking it was just a cover for her relationship with Sammy but uh, yeah <laughs> but uh yeah, she, uh Richard Johnson was supposedly and I believe the story um Terrence Young offered the role of uh, James Bond to him first because he'd worked with it before and oh, he was his he was his idea of James Bond then uh, Richard Johnson turned it down because he thought the contract was too restrictive for a spy series that nobody thought was going to amount to anything Right. you know the idea of a of a spy franchise series seemed laughable and the fleming books didn't sell that good until jfk mentioned it was his favorite nighttime reading it was uh you know from russia with love oh yeah and uh then the sales just shot up overnight and suddenly uh first two bond movies were re-released to be a huge double feature hit you know whereas dr no made its american debut at a drive-in in texas on the as the co-feature so uh and yeah, not a lot of people realize that because they've rewritten history where Dr. No was a smash hit. It actually wasn't um, right. Yeah. Richard Johnson turned it down, said it was too restrictive. He did play Bulldog Drummond in two very fun movies, uh, Deadlier Than the Male and Some Girls Do, um, which are those are very, very enjoyable films uh, in the Bond mold. But using a character who predates Bond by like two decades, Bulldog Drummond. Right. And uh he he's he's good in this. Supposedly he rewrote all his dialogue. I can believe it.
3: And he was dubbed in this too, which I thought was weird.
0: Was he dubbed? It seemed like it could have been his voice.
3: Uh, maybe it was. I thought I read that he was Yeah, dubbed.
0: it sounded like it could have been him, but I do know that in like everybody wonders why didn't Steve Reeves dub his own voice Yeah. Um well the thing is in um in Italy, they don't pay you to dub your voice. It's an extra, you know, it's an extra week of work being in that dubbing studio. You, know, you could do it in like two days. But um, I know that Richard Harrison rarely dubbed his voice in his Italian films because he said they didn't pay you. And it's like you're better off going off and making another, you know, $40,000 working on another film. Because right, if you, you're you dubbing these movies, you're not making money. You know, <laughs> you're not making anything. Just they didn't, your... they, didn't, they didn't shoot
3: with right, sound. They didn't right. shoot with sound. They did everything in post
0: well they do something called a dub like i was told by eric Zaldor, who has appeared on a lot of our italian oriented episodes and uh he has experience working with these people and he said that they use something called a dub track where they do live sound recording so the dubbers have like a guiding track huh. to go with, to work with as they dub into different languages but yeah they don't use any of the sound recorded on on the set yeah that's just not done and Uh, And it's done for time-saving, and also it's going to be dubbed in a bunch of different languages anyway. They don't care. Um, I've never understood why people are so insistent on watching Django uh, in Italian with subtitles when there is no original language, and Franco Nero didn't even bother dubbing his own voice in Italy. So (laughs) why why would you worry about it? Terrence Hill, um, supposedly in Italy, they had never heard his voice until he did an American film. Yeah, was
3: it uh, and, Miami Super Cops?
0: Uh, no, um, he did uh, Mr. Billions for 20th Century Fox, a oh, Jonathan okay. Kaplan movie. It's 77, Is him and uh, Jackie Gleason. Oh, right. And right. that was the first film where his voice was heard. He also did March or Die with Gene Hackman, and his yeah. voice was heard in that. And it turned out he sounded like Peter Laurie when yeah. he talked in English, <laughs> so, which is kind of unique. But he did start dubbing his own voice in English. Yeah. But apparently still would not dub his voice in Italian. I think he may have dubbed his voice in German in a few films because he speaks German as well. He's half German, but, um, but he started dubbing his own voice in English because his wife was American and was teaching him English. And I guess he met the guy who was dubbing his voice in the Trinity films. And he seemed offended. He said, Oh, I should be dubbing my own voice. He started doing it. So he has that Peter Lorre type of accent, but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, it, it is. I think it's only shocking to Americans that we, we act like our own movies are not dubbed well you watch these movies from the 70s remastered for stereo and you can tell they adr the hell out of everything yes they i think a lot of our movies are redubbed you know by the actors of course but it's because getting the live sound is always tough oh, you no
3: know, yeah like i watched
0: yeah. uh, psycho 2 we were watching psycho 2 and psycho 3 you can tell they're adr to hell because they probably had the universal uh, tram car, or whatever the hell it is that that goes around Universal Studios, interrupting filming and <laughs> <it> gets too <laughs> noisy. So there's Anthony Perkins and uh, you know Meg Tilly dubbing their voices and Dennis Franz and everything.
3: That's funny. So yeah, Richard Johnson was also in Beyond the Door and the Monster Club,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and then uh, Al Cliver, who played Brian, uh, Brian Hulk, he was in also 2020 Texas Gladiators and the Beyond. Right. Um and then uh as we mentioned Stefania De, De Mario was in uh, Nightmare City and Olga Carlitos, as you mentioned at the top was in uh she played Prince's mom in Purple Rain.
0: Yeah. Um beautiful Greek actress from yes. uh, who married Arthur Rankin Jr. director of Rudolph the right <laughs> 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 That's
3: awesome. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, yeah, she got herself a rich husband and got out of the business, you know. Do you ever want to know what happened to these beautiful women you see in these 70s films and um, who seem to specialize in these nude scenes or whatever? They always marry a producer and retire from the biz or they marry a real estate agent in California (laughs) because they're set for life and they don't have to work again. They just have kids and be, you know, a housewife and they're happy with that. So that's what's happened to them.
3: That's funny. <laughs> I, I love the zombies in this movie I love that they're like yeah. dry and crusty with maggots and worms coming out of their mouth
2: <laughs> very
0: easy comics didn't you think
3: yes yes
0: and i I think that's the way zombies were probably depicted in like Italian uh comic books because um un un unknown to a lot of fans over here comic books are a big thing in Italy. fumetti and and they have yeah the fumetti and they have a great uh, selection of horror comics that are inspired by EC and stuff, and you can of course read Della Morte. Uh, what was it, Dylan Dog? The Dylan Dog comics, yes. and
3: yeah.
0: um, uh, what's the other ones? I think is it Valentina or something like that. It's like there's all these pretty wonderful uh, Italian Fumetti comics or Fumettis, and yeah. um, I think that they imitate a lot of the like the Wally Wood and Frank Verzetta art and the EC comics. And that seems to have inspired Fulci's zombies. Uh, there's, this is the first film, I believe, with that type of look, except for maybe Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things had a great DC Comics look to their, their yes. zombie scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's with the rotting faces and everything, stuff that Romero didn't really want to seem to bother with in uh, his first two zombie films. But uh, yeah, that, that's what I, I like about these the worms, like, Colt is very afraid of worms and centipedes, I believe, and millipedes,
3: Yeah, because he really <laughs> likes
0: to have that camera linger on the worms and the uh, the centipedes oh, for different gross-out scenes, so that's, <laughs> that's sort of his thing.
3: I heard, too, that he was afraid of cats, and that's why his cats are prominent in some of his films.
0: It could be. I, of course, he might have just said that to just maybe yeah. lead on the Italian <laughs> journalist or English journalist who interviewed him and stuff. Like I said, you can't really believe anything these guys say because they're always like... And Fulci for fake Um, pretty much says he would make... You know, like I said earlier, he just made stuff up just to make his stories sound more interesting, you know?
3: Right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, man. You know, uh, you know, we talked about the voodoo and stuff and how, you know, it's, it's not really 100% shown, but I did love the scene when these... Which I thought was actually funny, even though I thought it was creepy and scary at the same time. These these bodies from 400 years ago are buried in like an inch of dirt. On yeah. The
0: <laughs> Apparently, uh, that tide doesn't get too high um, right. know, on that island, and uh, you don't have to worry about it. Even though right. it would be sand that far inland, I'm not sure.
3: You don't but, have to worry uh, about
0: animals digging them up. Well, I tell you, for an for like abandoned island, it sure did have a big population. No kidding! <laughs> wow, a lot of dead bodies popping up there. You know, I don't know if they just came over from the next island on a boat. That might have made more sense. And but,
3: what's his uh, name's like? When, well, it may take us. It could be uh, you know months to so many islands that are uncharted that we could. It could take months, and we're on vacation. You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they always these movies have the funniest dialogue and of course i have friends who watch these things strictly for the dialogue but um and that's how i viewed my my latest viewing of it was uh even though it's the best print of it i've ever seen uh remastered from i presume the blu-ray looks great yeah has all that lovely artifacting film grain that people seem to praise for some reason (laughs) um and yet what I really loved was just listening to the dialogue of the movie and, and, and Al Cliver wearing a Daily Planet t-shirt, all these things right. that just, you know, that, that that's what brings me back is to hear the dialogue, which was probably scripted by the dubbers that week. And uh, insert it in there, and for whatever reason, it always uh, adds to the surrealism, I would say.
3: Well, I think stuff like the Daily Planet t-shirt is, um, Fulcher was adding a lot of stuff in that were pop culture references, because the Christopher Reeve Superman had just come out, you know, two years prior, and that was a huge hit worldwide. Right. Um, So it was sort of, I almost think, a wink and a nod to the American audience that, yeah, we know what this is, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the shark sequence, which we should get into in a minute, um, was sort of inspired by, was it Live and Let Die? I think um, James Bond. Probably
0: Spy Who Loved Me. Spy Who Jaws, Loved Me, yeah, yeah. Where Jaws was uh, tossed into an aquarium. And or he bites a and... shark. <laughs> right, right, and he bites a shark. And <laughs> I remember when I first saw this on, uh, well, when I saw the the widescreen VHS, because the Panasonic VHS, that shark scene, you can't really appreciate it as much. But right. the widescreen made it clear there was a stunt man, and it turns out it was actually the shark's trainer, uh, in zombie makeup, underwater with a shark which is like <laughs> really an amazing image i mean that's a if you think about it but the funny thing is i mentioned it to a pal of mine who spends a lot of time scuba diving where he used to and uh, and he said what was so funny to him even though the imdb says it's a tiger shark i think he told me that was actually a nurse shark And he said oh they're harmless i've swum around with them a lot they won't do anything <laughs> to you so like they're like cows you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know
3: it had almost but, no teeth in its mouth
0: <laughs> right right and it's like well that just kind of ruins my image doesn't it? and it's like yeah i thought this is like the neatest scene ever this daredevil <laughs> was put on zombie makeup and swimming around with this shark turns out yeah he's swimming around with like uh the dom Deloise of sharks it's well, not gonna do anything
3: the shark was an actor you know <laughs> yeah yeah he's not very that. peaceful
0: very peaceful <laughs> i heard that they so filled
3: I mean, it they fed it quite a bit right before the shoot so it wouldn't attack the uh the actor
0: yeah they say that but then you know my friend my pals tell me oh yeah those sharks are harmless i've swim with them all the That's time yeah, <laughs> they <yeah>. won't <laughs> do anything to you it's like because we have this image of jaws in our head that we're all going to be robert shaw get munched <laughs> in half if we're around any shark you know but That's it's funny. apparently not the case they're all a lot of them are very passive it seems
3: no i heard they had this um this guy who was a like not an olympic swimmer but he was a, a f- well known for swimming was supposed to be the zombie there, and he got sick, so the actual the shark trainer ended up having to put the makeup on and go down there.
0: Yeah, yeah, the supposedly. Um, yeah, I believe it. I, I can believe that being the case.
3: Now, where did that zombie come from? Did he walk all the way from...
0: I, or maybe he was on a ship and he fell off. Uh, it would be nice if Fulci would give us an explanation on it or something. <laughs> but uh, he leaves a lot. I, I realize how much he leaves to your own imagination
3: Yeah. to yeah. fill
0: in the blanks on a lot of stuff. Like it was a Raymond Chandler said, what What matters is what you read between the lines. And I think Fulci takes that approach with his uh, zombie films. It doesn't really tell you everything.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Just
0: like House by the Cemetery and the Beyond are the same way. Yes. You know, there's a lot of stuff in there. It's like, wait a minute, why did he just show me this scene? Oh, I guess I got to fill it in myself. Right. <laughs> but you know, I give him credit. Most filmmakers will not do that. Like a lot of the horror filmmakers, we always overpraise, like John Carpenter. I think they they're afraid to do anything like that, or they're not smart enough to do stuff like that. And Falchi, that's where his uh, real sensibility as an artist comes through. And I think that's why he gets more love today than he did when he was in a lo- You know, when he was alive.
3: Right. 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 Well, what's funny, too, though, about this film is that, you know, we've been talking on the series about how there's some sort of subtext or social commentary to them. But I I think much like Kung Fu Zombie in this movie, there is no subtext.
0: No, no. All this idea (laughs) that Italian directors are these intellectuals and stuff, it's just a bunch of gaga, they say to interviewers. I think these movies are accidentally great or accidentally really good because they don't give a damn. (laughs) They're... Like, like I told you about Django, they're often inspired uh, by Donald Duck comics or reading Mandrake or something, you know, it's just like these weird inspirations from the most unlikely sources, you know, for all we know, Fauci might have been reading Scrooge McDuck. And yeah. there was a shark attack, and he decided there should be a shark attacking in zombie. It's just <laughs> you never know. Or he's reading a Lucky Loop comic, or something like that. It, it just you never know with these guys. Right. Or he's inspired by Asterix and Obelix. You know, just French <laughs> humorous Belgian or French comics or Ten Ten. It's just there's no there's no telling because that's how these guys pull their influences. They're they don't take them from obvious sources, and I've noticed in in Hollywood of recent 30 40 years and also with a lot of american indie filmmakers they're just stealing from films of the same genre and films of the same stripe you know like why are you going to steal from halloween why are you going to steal scenes from stuff we've all seen or the terminator it's like right. when you could you could do like the italians do and pull from scrooge mcduck and pull right. from <laughs> you know mickey mouse comics or something because they love that stuff like um, the oddest Uh, An odd side note and tangent I'll I'll give the audience today is uh, how in Italy, like in America, we've kind of forgotten about the Disney animal characters as, uh, you know, ongoing comic books or whatever as a continuity. In Italy, they have taken it to another level. They still write and draw these amazing comic books about Mickey Mouse and Donald (laughs) Duck and Scrooge McDuck. They love them. So they, you can buy like Fantagraphics, a company out of uh, Seattle. I think they're still in Seattle. They've been uh, publishing a lot of and translating a lot of this of these Disney comics from Italy, and um, and people people can finally see what they've been doing to these characters. They do these amazing comic books because over there they love Carl Barks, the uh, the great uh, Uncle Scrooge artist. Oh, okay, yeah, and yeah. Uh, writer. Yeah, they love that stuff, and so they they kind of just taken it. They have got. Mickey Mouse in Sword and Sorcery comics. They've got Donald Duck as a Fantomas-type character, the Duck huh. Avenger, in, in these comics that were published from like the 60s to the early 80s. I think they still do the Duck Avenger, but he's more of a superhero now. But back then, he was based on Fantomas and Lupin and, wow. and all these European characters. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. And <laughs> they really love him, and they really went far with them. We're over here, we've forgotten about him. Oh, this for little kids. And over there, the they read it like it's just the most normal thing in the world, you know, Hey, Donald duck, you know? <laughs> and also if you, um, I go to dollar tree a lot to catch up with the cheap DVDs and Blu-rays that they have there, of course, yeah. which are yeah. warehouse leftovers. that didn't make it to big lots. And um, I know sometimes I'll go in the kids book section and I'll notice there's these Disney comics. So I'd pick them up and you get them for like a dollar. And, you look at the credits they're all reprints from sweden and italy (laughs) but translated into english so there's a cheap way to introduce they're not as good as these stories i just described but they they're definitely in that vein and i found out my library so i could look like a real weirdo and go to my local (laughs) library and check out these big volumes of mickey mouse comics but they're done in Italy, and there's uh, they're just taking it to a sword and sorcery genre thing. I always say, "Hey, I got a kid. I got, I have a son. <laughs> it's just, like, I'm not that weird, please." But li- you know, he
3: likes Mickey Mouse Pebble movies. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He <laughs> likes
0: Mickey Mouse, even though my kid can't stand comic books. But
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's funny. You know, I I don't I don't know if I mentioned this when you were on the East meets the West, but in 2014 I had a chance. I went to Italy. Uh, my aunt came along as a sort of a translator. We visited. We visited with a bunch of my cousins and stuff. And one of the things that I found over there that was still hugely popular, at least back in 2014, was Grandizer. I was wow. shocked at how much books, how many books, how many Grandizer toys you could find. It was insane.
0: Oh my gosh! I go nuts if I went to Italy. Now.
3: I know. Thankfully I had a limited budget, I, I, I would have bought everything I saw.
0: <laughs> I I have been paying the uh the import tax I'd I'm bring a bunch of that stuff over cuz I love Grandizer. But uh but yeah, Grandizer was a real big hit on uh and French TV. Yes. And I guess it was shown on Italian TV as well, which I believe was state run. Yeah. Um I
3: think they called it Golderac in France.
0: Right, right. It yeah. took, uh, took off real big there. So yeah, I could see them still digging it in Grandizer and and other items of the 70s like a a friend of mine who uh i believe he's uh he's from i believe norway it doesn't really matter but he was telling me that in denmark because i said i was looking at denmark as a potential vacation spot he goes you know in their gas stations you could still buy uh comic books of the phantom and conan the barbarian wow in their gas stations wow and i was like i I just like this just blows my mind because we don't (laughs) even read the phantom over here anymore you know, Conan is just gets swatted around the different comic book companies over here and not not always done very well. But over there, you know, public domain and they just read Conan comic <laughs> comics all the time in the Phantom. They love the Phantom. You know, he's a big inspiration to a lot of their heroes.
3: Oh man, that's funny. And you know what was interesting? We took a train from I think it was from Florence to Rome and it was one of those you know, high speed, really nice kind of trains. Not like, mm-hmm. you know, the subways here. And uh, right. uh in there was a little gift shop and at the top of the perimeter, all the way around the interior perimeter, just under the ceiling along the wall, were cartoons of Diabolic. Wow. It was just amazing. I was like, it was just there, just as decoration. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine was telling me he was buying uh, Diabolic comics, I think, from when he was uh, visiting Paris And I think when he'd go to Barcelona with his wife, they would, he would, he would pick up the comics and he could, he could uh, speak restaurant French and restaurant Spanish. Okay. So he could, he could sort of read the comics and appreciate them a little bit, but like he was amazed at how casual it's like, oh, you just go to a newsstand and buy Diabolic comics. How crazy.
3: (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah.
0: They, they, they see the format differently over here. The keep it in these stores that are all going broke and right. it's marketed to just man children and they smell bad when you visit them <laughs> and everything. get over there, you can still buy them in newsstands and they're just kind of normal. And, you know, they're not necessarily, uh, you know, read by man children, I guess they're read by the same thugs. who will mug you on the subway. So.
3: Right.
0: <laughs> I guess your, your potential muggers in Rome will be reading Scrooge McDuck before they uh, <laughs> ask for your wallet.
3: Oh man, and this this movie ended up on the um, the UK's Video lift list mainly because of the scene where uh, what's it was it Su- Susan no it was the wife gets her um, gets a shard of wood shoved through her yeah Olga
0: Carlados gets her uh, eye punctured and never blinks
3: yeah that that oh, the, the wonders the wonders of Italian
0: effects <laughs> yes it is it's what really I love weird. is the
3: zombies pulling her by her hair and she doesn't even like use her hands to try and do something yeah.
0: Yeah, she's just, uh, because they got a substitute, that mannequin with uh, window eyelids being right. uh, punctured or whatever. <laughs> but she, um,
3: She's pushing this this end table against the door, but the zombie's breaking through the slats at the top of the door.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Didn't your husband leave a golf club around and you could just swat him in the head or something? Right. And, uh, well, they're, they're not realistic in their depictions of violence, and I think Fulcher just wanted to kill a woman on screen. Really graphically, he loved doing that.
3: And it was funny too because in that documentary, which I, um, I think I told you off, off mic, I um, I was able to watch half of it at least. Um, Fulci liked to surround himself with himself with beautiful young women, and um, nothing speaks more to that than the scene where Susan's putting on. She's basically got her aqualung and a thong. Yeah, and that's it.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he's Italian, so you got to kind of expect that. Right, You're right. Old. Don't get it's me a, wrong it's a, running ga- it's a running gag on our show but Italians are being really sleazy but apparently it's pretty close to the truth.
3: <laughs> and don't get me wrong it's one of my favorite scenes in the sh- in the movie but
0: No, yeah it's a great scene. You're not going to see it anywhere else. You're not going to see it in a zombie movie today. Right. Not made in America. No. <laughs>
3: Oh man!
0: No, guys aren't supposed to like girls anymore in our zombie movies, they're, right? Right? They're, they're all—they don't want to offend anybody with a scene like that.
3: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah,
0: you know, they. Rather, it's okay to show, you know, kids being killed and throats ripped out, but they, how dare you consider a woman goes uh, scuba diving uh, topless? So
3: <laughs> in a thong.
0: Yeah, yeah, A very on. skimpy
3: thong, I might add. <laughs>
0: right. And, you know, that that reminded me that, um, you know, I often believe that most horror films today are, are basically aimed at women and marketed to women, and they're going to bring their dates, so you get the guys in there, too. But um, back then, the, se- the late 70s, I think one reason your gore hounds are very fond of that era, and they're very anti-PG-rated horror or whatever, is because that was that time when, basically, horror movies were expected to be seen by horny young men
3: that's true and
0: and horny teen boys it was totally aimed at them so you always had this gratuitous nudity and that's where fulci fit right in and i think when people are always like decrying the rise of pg-13 horror and everything it's like they don't realize that they're nostalgic for a time when these movies were marketed to them right but and not necessarily girls and I think when Paramount put out Friday the Thirteenth and the early films, of course, are more pandering to the boyfriends. Yeah. But um, you'll you'll notice that those are really designed to bring in teen girls and their boyfriends and sell popcorn for an opening weekend success, and that's how those are made, and that's that's what led to the eventual PG-13ization mm-hmm. of the horror genre that everybody claims to be so offended by nowadays.
3: Right. Right.
0: And but it's very much um, horror is very very much a feminine genre, and of course everybody's gritting their teeth and wanting to punch me for saying this, but that's <laughs> true. But but the late seventies, the reason we still go back and watch these movies because that's when it was aimed to creep out men. Yeah, you know, here's a nude girl. Look, a zombie. Ugh! You know, it's like, it's just pulling the pulling the uh, the shell game on you. You know.
3: Oh my god. Well, you know what's funny? How like nowadays the final girl has become a thing. You know cause, because right. I, I remember back in the 80s watching those movies, Friday the 13th and whatever slasher films. My, I remember my mother turning to me at one point going, why is it always the girl that survives at the end and ends up killing yeah. the bad guy? Why can't it be the guy?
0: Right. <laughs> like, well, you got the remember. evil Dead, but then you ended up with this, um, you ended up with a completely different type of horror franchise. Right, right. Where, where it's basically <laughs> uh, Bruce Campbell being like all three stooges and one man. And, um, you know, having these elongated, uh, you know, slapstick scenes with uh, monsters and demons and everything.
3: Which, by the way, have you seen, the sidebar, have you seen the trailer of his new film, Black Friday? No,
0: I haven't watched it yet. Everybody was posting it, and um, I haven't looked at it yet. I'm not really, I've kind of gotten to where I'm burned out on clicking on trailers as soon as they pop up. And I'm like, oh, let me guess, is Bruce Campbell playing himself?
3: Right. You know, (laughs) it's
0: just... Cause I I haven't cared for a lot of his straight to video stuff. Like my name is Bruce or whatever it's called. Bubba Yeah. I think when performers like him or like cult performers become very self-referential, it gets a bit boring to me because then suddenly they're making these comedies that are all based on fan service. Right. And not necessarily making something that's trying to be a new duck soup or anything. Not that you always have to do that, but I at least expect three stooges meet Hercules and not have to deal with, in Jokes to your early career, you know. Right.
3: <laughs> oh man, and the thing with trailers too is, I and I learned this the hard way back in uh, when Back to the Future 2 came out, they had shot that back to back with part 3. And I right. remember seeing two in the theater, and at the end, they had a trailer for part 3 and they gave away the ending shot of the movie. I, I remember going, Oh, that's <laughs> the end shot. Yep, I guess I don't need to see part 3 now because I know how it ends.
0: And, well, it was just a big tribute to A Fistful of Dollars. Oh my
3: god, I know, but it was just like it, they ruined the movie. It really pissed me off. And it was like, so ever since then, if there's a movie coming out that I I, I know I'm going to want to see, uh, mm. I'll watch the trailer maybe six months in advance. And nowadays, even like with the Bruce Campbell one I just mentioned, um, right. I only watch half of it. Because by the yep. time you get halfway through the trailer, they're giving, even my wife now is at the point where she's like, shut it off. They've given away too much. You
0: know? <laughs> right. And also, I think because we see most of the stuff streaming these days, um, it's more disposable. Right. It's like, you know, I'm just going to watch it on streaming. I might, if I'm not really into it after 20 minutes, I'm turning it off and I'm going to watch, you know, I'm going to watch a rerun of uh, uh, X-Files or some nonsense or whatever. Right. And forget it. Forget about it. I don't care. I'll watch Andy Griffith.
2: Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> just like... <laughs>
0: uh, I'm going to pop in my Bonanza DVDs. I'm going to watch this new Bruce Campbell thing. But that's just kind of... Movies are very disposable now. And I think streaming has kind of cheapened film. Yes. And uh, everything's shot digitally. So I think people just aren't as into it as much, even if they don't realize it. It's almost like a subconscious thing. Yeah. but Movies have become very much a bag of rice. Uh, Eat it, throw it away. And uh, if you don't like it, you eat half of it, throw it away. (laughs) it's, It's just... That's just the way, where we are now with uh, movie culture, and uh, it's, it's kind of sad to see. I don't think you're going to see anything like Zombie, which we're still watching 40 years later. Oh, yeah. We're still watching this movie, and I'm still really impressed with it. And this is a movie that didn't impress anybody except the hardened flea pit viewers of, right. of the <laughs> 1970s.
3: And this movie still has quite a few scary moments. I was tense yeah. watching it this time around you know, like when Olga gets out of the shower and the whole scene sequence leading up to the eyeball scene, you know, that was pretty tense.
0: <laughs> and it's not heavily cut. It doesn't, he doesn't do it in quick cuts or anything. Right. It's very, uh, leisurely paced or gradually paced. He lets the scene, he knows how to let a scene build. And there was a scene where Aretta Gay was looking around the jungle right before she meets her fate. And it's just like he just did it all in one take where it's just kind of going around the scope scene is just, you know, the scope cameras just go, the camera is just guiding along the forest. You're seeing what she sees, goes back to her reaction, then you see stuff like in the <laughs> background or whatever. It's like um, you don't see that type of filmmaking anymore because right. they're so eager. Well, half the time they're putting in a dumb looking CGI, which takes me out of the movie right away. Um, I don't know if it's because of my LASIK surgery or whatever, but every time I see CGI, I just immediately it takes me out of the movie.
3: Yes. So I said, oh, yeah.
0: they just put a cartoon in there. Why don't they just have the Tasmanian devil spin right. around while they're right. at it? Um, yeah, maybe Sylvester can run in the camera and try to kill T- Tweety Bird you know, during the <laughs> scare scene. But um, but yeah, you, you have all these things that's built into the scene. It's all the mood and the atmosphere. A friend of mine who studied film and I think made some films uh he said you know horror is like 90 percent atmosphere yeah and he's right and it's all there it's all in zombie it's more atmosphere you think you've seen more than you actually have that's what i've always realized it's just like texas chainsaw master i was just gonna people, say people people will tell you oh the Leatherface hits the girl in the stomach and all the guts come out and all, all these scenes that never happened right i think actually happened in the film right and uh, that's what it is with zombie. People think they're seeing a lot more than they actually are.
3: Right, right.
0: So when you do see something very uh, aggressive and, and gross, uh, it really hits you because he's actually kept you. <laughs> what, w- what would I say? He's actually kind of kept you on a leash for 10 minutes with that scene. That's and, true. Yeah. And boom. You get hit with the money shot. It's like, whoa, throat <laughs> spurting jeez you know though the zombie's head just got split open like a melon and cranberry sauce comes out you know
3: <laughs> and one of the things in that documentary i thought was really fascinating was the where uh, one of the guys that worked there with him was saying that fulci he knew the even whether he wrote, wrote the movie or not he had it in his head backwards and forwards he knew it inside and out and he knew ahead of time how he wanted the shot so he'd be like you know give me the 25 millimeter lens give me the 70 millimeter lens you mm-hmm. know and he had it all planned out and that's the kind of visual artist he was i think
0: yeah he's a visual thinker yeah i think he thinks in visuals and um not everybody is and you can kind of tell when you uh you watch a movie that's not by a of what you would say a visual thinker john landis uh you know that don't <laughs> really have the the scenario like where it's memorable like you remember shots you've seen in a uh Lucio Fulci movie. You will never remember the shots and the layout in a Mick Garris film. I'll put it that way.
3: That's true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and
0: no offense to those guys or whatever. Well, John Landis, I don't care if I offend, but, um, <laughs> but the thing is, those guys were never very strong visual directors and guys like Fulci and, uh, his, uh, his peers like Argento and, uh, the and, um, uh, Umberto Lindsay. They just there's a visual mind there, and I think Fulci actually had the most visual mind. I think that Beyond is a beautiful movie. Oh
1: yeah. Uh,
0: even if it's nonsensical, House by the Cemetery is amazing. Even if it makes no sense whatsoever, right. you know, <laughs> and he fakes Edgar Allan Poe quotes and all these crazy things he always does, uh, just to mess with the viewer. But uh, very, I think visually he's one of the he has a strong sensibility. The problem with Fulci is, and Argento had pointed out one time. He's directing one movie, he's editing another, he's writing another film all at the same time. Yeah. And so it led to a very prolific career and there's a lot of duds. And I know people will defend some of those duds, but I just to me there's almost like no reason to even watch them. You know, you just watch his strong films and you're good.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and that's the thing too, there's not a lot of character development here. Although I did think that uh Dr. Maynard um May not Monard was um I thought he was very interesting because you didn't know if he wanted to save the people on the island or if he was doing some kind of, you know, Dr. Moreau experimentation, you know.
0: Yeah. And it almost I got the feeling maybe he'd just run out of purpose or he didn't even know anymore. And so it's kind of lost in right. the scenario. <laughs> you know, he's just they're shooting corpses as they rise and instead of just jumping on a boat and getting the hell out of there, right. you're know, <laughs> all going to die anyway.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and the the other thing too, uh, t- to your point, uh, just a little while ago, this movie is just visually beautiful. I mean, the island yeah. location was a perfect setting for it.
0: Right. It, it, yeah, Santa Domingo, uh, great location. I'm surprised it's not used that much. Um, I suspect I haven't checked on it lately, but I imagine it's a it's still a good place to film. But I I think that uh, there's no directors in Italy. They they don't make they aren't making anything like this. They haven't had a Fulci you know, look looked like we were going to get it with uh, Michelle Sawabi. Right. Um, but he's kind of, I think he should be retired when his kid got sick or something like that. Oh, geez. And, and he actually plays one of the zombies in this film. Um,
3: oh, wow. Is he the one that did Cemetery Man?
0: Yes, he did. Yeah. And he did yeah, right. The Sect, I think it's called. Or, oh, yeah. Uh, it has another title with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's sister, yeah. um, Kelly Curtis. And um, uh, he did uh, The Church, I believe, and and some oh, other films. okay. Can... Yeah. Yeah, you could you could look up his career. Yeah. Um but I think he had to retire cuz he had a sick kid or something like that. Something sad and um he's like I thought he was going to be like the next Falci. He had a great visual sensibility, but um the career, the prolificness that's needed for that is just not there and there's no interest in the Italian film industry. I mean, when's the last time Argento made a good movie like 30 years ago? Oh my and yet God, he's made yeah. like He's made like 15 or so. I mean, yeah, I know people like to be edgy and say, oh, I love Dracula. I thought it was great. Oh, God. You know, it all, you know and it's just like, quit annoying me. Quit, like, pulling right. my leg. You know, stop I, Stop it.
3: I watched that movie, and I'm like, oh, there's an hour and a half. I'll never get back again. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Because I was just watched it. I was like, these have nothing that put him on the map. You know, this guy used to make really intense, great thrillers and scope and this amazing prog rock scores and – um these incredible innovative camera things that made Brian De Palma look slow. And, right. um, and then, then he just starts making garbage. I mean, his crazy daughter probably didn't help, but, um, <laughs> he just starts, he just makes junk and like Jollo, like that actual film titled Jollo with Adria Brody being more hammy than usual. And just <laughs> a, like, it's unreal how bad he's become and i just like maybe he just doesn't care anymore i don't know he's just uh cashing in on his name
3: yeah yeah or the the muse just left him whatever it was
0: right right i don't know if falchi had lived longer if he would have just made terrible movies or you know it would have been nice to see him uh see how he was appreciated in america like with generations of young gore hounds and everything if wasn't that's there, even the term we use
3: didn't uh, wasn't there a point where argento and fulci sort of had a falling out for quite a while and then they ultimately <sighs> patched things up
0: they must have patched things up because fulci's last film or he was working on wax mask which i don't think he ended up he didn't end up directing i think luigi kazi took over or um i, th- I think it was luigi kazi who took over that film but um he, uh, anybody can look it up. It's not a good movie, but that was supposed to be Fulci's film and Argento had hired him and they were going to work together. And, um, Fulci was going to do a movie for Argento and his brother and he, he passed away before that could happen. Huh. not a healthy man. You know? Yeah. Just, he had, he had, had a heart attack earlier, I believe. And I mean, the documentary goes into that Fulci for fake, by the way, you can watch it on Tubi TV or check it out on canopy. I believe if you have a public library card, uh, service, plugged into canopy oh, nice. it's well worth it um i wish i had known that because then i could have watched it ad free and not have to put up with tubi's terrible <laughs> oh my god ad interruptions every 15 I, minutes but, uh,
3: That's yeah how but it. uh no, but
0: it's it's a worthwhile documentary i didn't expect much from it and it wasn't the usual hero worship like oh he's the greatest director ever it was yeah it interviewed both of his daughters and um, talked about the tragedies in his life that probably inspired his work and his own peculiar habits, his obsession with women. But I, that was a given; he's Italian. Right. But um, <laughs> you know, it it had it was cool. I talked to Fabio Frizzi, who's talking about, oh, I was inspired by this for, with this music chord by listening to Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yes, you know, yeah, it's I just, saw that. I like, was <laughs> just like, oh my gosh! You know, I always think, no, no, he got it from this old Catholic hymn, you know. It's just like. <laughs> It's obscure church music, or no, it's his own prog rock imagination, but no, Crosby Stills and Ash, he's just lifting off a tune. You
3: know? He's like, oh, I love the West Coast, I love Dylan, Crosby Stills and Ash. Right,
0: right. It's like, you're know, you going to say Donovan inspired uh, the tunes and the beyond. Right. The Bay
3: City Rollers.
0: Yeah, Bay City Rollers, the sweet. Uh, the Ohio Express and the 1910 Fruit Gum Company were my biggest inspirations. <laughs>
3: So we'll wrap this up. We've been out of here for about two hours now.
0: Yeah, give people enough, I think.
3: Yeah, we did touch on the final scene, the siege of the of the hospital. I love that scene; um, mm-hmm. that was amazing. And then um, the the very final scene, we we kind of talked about that too, where they they come back to New York in the boat, which is miraculously uh, healed up or, or repaired. By the way, remember they they landed <laughs> because the the um, the shark hit the boat and the rotor was broken or something. Right. And then they jump back into it and. Somehow it works, and they take off to New York. I, I
0: guess the underwater zombie fixed
3: it. Maybe <laughs> he's
0: just, he's just helping out.
3: You know? And you get the radio station. Uh, you know, to, they tune in, and of course, it's the exact—not exact word for word—but it's very similar to the opening of Dawn of the Dead, where there's chaos, but it's, it's right. being presented on the media at that point.
0: Yeah, and you get these extras that are walking along the Brooklyn Bridge, or whatever. It's just... like,
3: they said the city was evacuating, yet the the cars are going into the city. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, traffic's going both ways, basically, yeah. which, which would probably be the case, I think, because people want to get out of Connecticut, and who wouldn't want to get out of Connecticut? So they're right. just like, they're going into New York, you know, probably just left the Roy Rogers right. off that uh, that route. And uh, and everybody in New York, and who wouldn't want to get out of New York, but I don't know why they go into Connecticut. So, you know, yeah. maybe uh, maybe Rhode Island had a big happening or something, I don't, I'm not sure.
3: Oh my God, oh, they're headed for Martha's Vineyard. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're going to Amityville.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Amityville's on Long Island. You mean Amity. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right.
3: Cuz Amity as you know means friendship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so John, Yeah, you got my
0: New England coastal cities uh mixed up. They're they're, yeah. they're going to head to Vermont. They're going to go to New Hampshire. <laughs> I think I would I think if zombies were attacking New York, i I'd, I'd get the hell out of New York. I think I'd go all the way up to New Hampshire. And I would just, like, find a deer camp or something. I believe they hunt deer up there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of, yeah, just find one of those little uh, things and just barricade yourself up at a, tr- a deer stand for a while. Yeah.
3: I, I grew up north of Boston, and I've been in, living in Maine for the last six years, and I love it up here. I mean, I hate the snow. I hate the cold when that right. happens. But otherwise, I love it up in Maine. It's really nice.
0: Right, right. And then uh, I think my my wife, uh, when she was my fiance, she went to visit her sister who was going to college up in Maine, I believe. Oh, nice. And uh, she brought me back like a toy that was in one of those chocolate egg treats from Europe that you get. Yeah. And she didn't know what it was. And she said, oh, it's like this little Viking guy. And I looked at it and I went, oh, that's Asterix for the French comics. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right, because of the Montreal is so close.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just like, <laughs> oh, oh, how cool. It's like I didn't know that apparently he's popular enough to be in this chocolate treat. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I do see that once in a while. Stuff from, from Quebec or. Montreal will kind of trickle down into the stores here. Not a yeah, lot. Yeah, suddenly there's an
0: bit. Alain Delon uh, bumper sticker or uh, <laughs> John Paul Belmondo uh, air freshener for the car. Exactly.
3: Like <laughs> so, John, final thoughts on Zombie or Zombie 2, and would you recommend this to people?
0: Uh, I highly recommend it. Know what you're getting into. Uh, don't complain that it's slow. I don't, I don't think anybody listening to this show is going to watch the movie for the wrong reasons. I do think uh, i think your listeners are beyond that mtv attention span thing. yeah um you know me being a cranky old general Xer, that i will i will bring up things condescendingly like that um <laughs> i think it's a it's a terrific movie i really dig it i'm amazed how many times i've actually seen it without thinking about it because i would never tell you oh it's a desert island disc or anything like that but um i enjoy it every time i watch it i don't you know, tune into it like I do with some John Carpenter movies and go, Oh God, why did I, what did I ever see in this? You yeah.
2: <laughs> know,
0: with the lack of humanity, man, you know, that sort of thing. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it's terrific and, uh, highly recommended. And, um, it's not my favorite Falchi movie. That would be the beyond and house by the cemetery. I think is better, uh, than zombie, but zombie is well worth seeing. I think I, I put it on a level of don't torture a duckling is one of his, uh, one of his better uh secondary films or second tier films.
3: I agree. I agree with that. I, I really enjoyed it. I like I said, it scared the shit out of me when I was eleven, but you know, it, it scared me it scared the shit out of me this morning, but I <laughs> I, I still enjoy it. I, I you know I've read some criticism saying it's a bad ripoff of Dawn of the Dead, but that is just not true. No, you not know, at all. It's it's a totally different kind of movie altogether. So, I I recommend yeah, people, it as well. Oh, sorry. Go as ahead.
0: if we never had a zombie genre before Romero, which we did. We had Plague of the Zombies and right. all the all the 40s zombies films that aren't other than I Walk with a Zombie, most of them are not very good, but um the genre has been around for a long long right. time. It's like I, to think that Romero had an exclusive on zombies is ridiculous. Right.
3: Exactly. Especially so that
0: he was just he was just ripping off I Am Legend, let's be honest.
3: Yeah. You know, like I mentioned earlier too, I've been looking for, you know, crazy shit to fill my, uh, fill my need. And, uh, this movie filled that role nicely. I, I definitely recommend it to horror fans, zombie fans, and, uh, anyone just looking for something that's over the top and, and scary. And, you know, it, 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 you don't need, uh, character development in these kinds of movies. I think it's it, not
0: always And Italian films are known for their visual strength Exactly because being dubbed in different languages, <laughs> character development can kind of go out the window when you're, selling this to different secondary markets. Right.
3: Well, thanks again for joining me, John. Uh, Can you tell the listeners where to find you online?
0: Uh, You can find me at midnightmoviecowboys.com. Very different podcast from other movie podcasts. I uh, liken it to something like the early David Letterman on NBC in that what you're listening to you think is fake is actually real. And the stuff that you think is real, is actually fake. So (laughs) it's just one of those unusual shows. And if you listen to one episode, you may not dig it. We may say something that offends you, but I say, give another show a try and you might pick up on our wavelength. But I, I liken it to the early David Letterman back when he was funny. And, (laughs) uh, and, uh, er, like SCTV, or, um, if you listen to satellite radio back in the day of the double O's Ron and Fez, where you don't quite know if what you're hearing is real or not, but I assure you all of these unusual characters on our show are real. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do have these, these unusual characters like Zolly Becker are real people who are trouble. For a lot of big companies in real life so <laughs> that's just how our show is developed that's how it's evolved i'm in colorado my co-host hunter is in texas my other co-host at the really the the grand pappy of the of the show Stuart stewart balk is in australia so we're a very global show we have listeners all around the world uh we get surprising Fan emails for people who pick up on what we're saying and say that everything we say is is right on and everything. So I have fans in Ireland. I have fans in uh, Greece. I, you know, it's it's really it's really cool. It's like the the show gets a lot of love. And uh, but it's a it is a cult show. It is we are never going to be as big as some of these other guys. We're not going to be Mark Kermode anytime soon. <laughs> but that's the way I like it. I do the show like only fifty people listen. Yeah. <laughs> so and and I think that's what entertains people. So you know, check it out.
3: Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us, John.
0: Sure, always a blast.
3: Okay, folks, thanks for joining us today for our special 2021 13 Days of Tober series, where we focus on modern zombie films. You can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. Then Is Now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please be sure to check out our other great shows there at thedorkening.com. You can also visit our website at havenpodcasts.com, where you'll find our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies. And don't forget when you're at our website, please click on the links for T Public and Patreon to get some great swag and exclusive stuff that you can't get anywhere else, including our filmmakers series of shows. And then as now is on YouTube, so please visit youtube.com/user/uncledeath1 to get the latest videos as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page, don't forget to hit that little bell so you can get notifications whenever we post new ones, and also share the video versions of our podcast with your friends to get them to subscribe as well. Don't forget to go wherever you download your podcasts from and leave us a great review so more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed.
1: Venice Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips play during
2: this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.
1: the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com. They come out of the darkness to take over your soul, to eat your flesh, and make you one of the living dead. Ah! Zombie is about to begin, and you will eat it up. It's
2: got my arms! Zombie. We are but they eat. No one under 17 admitted.